Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Today we're going to take a 35 to 40 minute just spiritual, emotional workout. All right, that's what we're going to do. Now, I know some of you, you have gym memberships. Maybe you go to cycle class. And I was observing a flywheel class over at the quarter uh, not, too, not too far, uh, not, not too long ago. And I was noticing that everybody was coming in 20 to 30 minutes before class. And they were like pumped and they were ready to go. And they, they were in their, in their, uh, on their bikes well before. And I thought to myself, what if we did that when we came to church? What if we thought... Because a cycle class only lasts about an hour. What if we came with the same enthusiasm and expectation that we see uh, some people who go three to four times a week? Because we've only got 52 weeks to come and attend and to hear what God would speak. Maybe you're going to attend 30 times or maybe it's going to be 20, whatever it is. I hope that you're here to be able to grasp a hold of everything that God wants to speak into your life, what he wants to say to you. So let's make sure that we're ready to go. So as you were coming in, you should have received some notes. Did you get them? If you didn't get notes, raise your hand. We've got some people here who will make sure that they get into your hands. Here's why. Because it is statistically proven that in about 48 hours of walking out these doors, you're going to forget everything that I said. And I want you to make sure that you grab a hold of not what I will say, but I want you in this moment to experience the very heartbeat of who God is, how God is, what he wants to do and what he wants to say into your life. So make sure, raise your hand and be diligent, get on the edge of your seats, all right? Now, let's get started. So my daughter, my little baby girl just turned 18 years old. Yep, yep, that little precious girl. Now, this past Tuesday, I sent her a text, and I want to read it to you. And I believe that technology, we don't have to demonize it, that we can actually utilize it uh, for some incredible things. We can, what I like to use is a phrase, redeem the space. So we can take a, a tool like this and send messages of encouragement, of appreciation, of honor. Dads, husbands, pay attention. We can utilize these things in a powerful way. So here's what I sent to her. I said, when you were a little girl... I loved asking you if you knew how much your daddy loved you. You'd be silent, and I would stretch my arms as wide as I could, and you would smile, and you would laugh. And then I would say, more than this. Now, you had the most incredible little movement where you'd grab both of your hands, pull them close to your face, and you just beam with glee. I need you to know that while the love that I have for you doesn't come close to the love that God has for you, I still have my hands stretched as far out as they can possibly go, and I love you so much more than that. You are loved. Have an awesome day. Question. Do you know how much your heavenly father, your daddy, loves you? Sometimes as Christians, we know things that we don't know. And I think the love of God is one of those things that we know the information of it, but sometimes we miss out on fully grasping it. And here, here's what I believe describes it. It's the word more. God's love for you is more than you can think, imagine, more than you can fathom. It's always so much more. And if we look at what A.W. Tozer said, he says this, it's in your notes. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. 
So if love isn't the first thing that comes to your mind, I know this, we have the wrong impression of who God is. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians 3. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, you may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love, to know it, not information, but to be connected to it, surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine be glory. Someone shout more. More. Write this in your notes. When people do not know how the Lord thinks or works, they tend to think the worst. Or at least we limit who he is in our life, how he operates, how he speaks. We, we tend to put the bars down or the lid. Because we have in our own imaginations uh, this kind of thought process that he is a taskmaster or that he is always angry. And I love what 2 Corinthians 10, it says, cast down imaginations, cast down arguments, every high thing that tries to exalt itself against the knowledge of Christ, of who he is, of how he loves of how he's gentle and kind and good. Cast those things down. Realize that they are coming from a source that is not the divine nature and understanding of God. In your notes again, we have to understand who God is in order to know how he does, the way he does, not simply what he does. So I just want you to, to just... Step into this frame of reference for just a second. You're, you're not here, and oftentimes, as people who follow Jesus, we get into checklist mode. All right, Brad, well, I'm here. What, what can you tell me what to do today? What to do? And we miss out on the way. The early church was called the way, the hodos, the path, the style. So Jesus doesn't come to just give us a checklist to follow. He comes to show us how. He comes to show us the manner, the style. He comes to show us the, the way in which we're to operate. Now, the last several weeks, uh, uh, Preston has been sharing some very powerful messages about who God is. He's been talking about who God the Father is, who God the Son, Jesus is, who is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And they've been powerful messages. And I encourage you to listen and listen and listen again so that you can catch who God is, so that you can understand his tone, his attention, his intention to you. Um, in your notes, you'll see this. This is, this is such a powerful group of statements. If God wanted to punish, he would have sent a punisher. If he wanted to condemn, he would have sent a condemner. But he wanted to save, so he sent a savior, and he wanted to redeem, so he sent a redeemer. And he wanted to love, and he sent a lover. He is the lover of our soul. Who is God? What is he like? How does he speak? Who am I? Why am I here? These are great questions. And the best answers come from the best questions, which happens to be the title of my message today. So here's what I need you to do. I need you all to just take a big, deep breath in. Hold it at the top. All right, you can let it out. And I want you to just think for a second, what are some of the questions that have shaped your life? There's some space for you right there, but just what are some of the questions that have shaped your life? On May 6th of 1997, 
My wife, Noelle, was 19 years old. I was 22. And she asked me this question. We were out on a hike, and she said, will you always think of me as a little kid? Now, Noelle and I met. I was 15, and she was 12, and we met in church. But she was a little bit too young for me to pursue, even though I thought she was cute, and kind of the years went by, and eventually we got to the stage where she was 19, and I was um, 22. And so she asked me this question when we went on a hike. We always think of me as a little kid, and that question changed the nature of our relationship. Uh, a little bit later on, February 26 of 2000, Noel was 21, I was 25, and I asked her this question, will you marry me? And that definitely changed the direction of my life. Will you marry me? Now, several years into our marriage, there was another question that we asked each other that had a profound impact on our life. We looked at each other and we said, do you think we need marriage counseling? To which we both replied, Yes, we need some coaching, we need some help. And as a result of that question, it produced life into our relationship where we were having some struggle. One more question. On January 24th of 2020, this year, my daughter, before she turned 18, she's 17, I'm 44, she asked me this question. She said, Dad, do you think I'm beautiful? Now, of course, my f first response, like any father, yeah, of course, honey, of course, yes. Then the next question that follows is a little more, more painful, and she said, then how come you don't tell me? Now, that painful question caused me at first to want to react with, uh, no, I'm positive, like last week, I said, and I stopped myself, and I reali realized something, and I know it was the Holy Spirit giving me wisdom, that my daughter was asking me, like many young ladies will ask, for what she needed. She needed something from her dad. She needed to know how her dad saw her. Now, fortunately, instead of being prideful about it, I was able to respond. And she's like, Dad, I don't want you to do anything. I'm just asking this question. But the next day, I bought her some flowers. I wrote her uh, words in a card. I called her. Why? Because my daughter was doing something that we should be doing when we mature and we become adults. She was asking for what she needed. How many of us don't ask for what we need, and as a result, we allow the situation and circumstances of life to answer those questions. But look at this in your notes. Sam Keen said, Nothing shapes our lives so much as the questions we ask. Refuse to ask or never dream of asking. Our minds, our bodies, our feelings, and relationships are literally informed by our questions. Now, most of the readers of the Gospels, they read them to see what Jesus will say, not to see what Jesus will ask. Now, did you know that in the New Testament, Jesus asked over 300 questions? So he's fully God and fully man. He said that he didn't say anything he didn't hear his father say, and he didn't do anything he didn't see his father do. Therefore, we must understand that the questions, the way and the how, are a part of how those of us who follow after Jesus need to lean in to listen to fully comprehend what's going on. Now, raise your hand if you have spent slow, thoughtful, reflective time responding to the 300 plus questions of Jesus? Raise your hand. Now, me either. 
Till about six months ago, when I felt like God was putting this on my radar, and we began to get a little bit of an understanding that one of the most profound ways that Jesus comes and shapes lives like a great rabbi is the tr- through the technique of not just parables or storytelling, but through question asking. Now, this is not, again, a what-to-do message. This is a how-to-do and a way-to-do. Because Jesus, his primary way of encounter of the soul, of humanity, of you and I, this is what you and I want. His primary encounter, which we we would call evangelization, is through question asking. He's too much, too much the Jewish uh, prophet to stabilize the status quo with platitudes or euphemisms. That's on on the screen for you to be able to spell that word right there, okay? So here it is. Here's a question. What if instead of looking at God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit as the ones with all the answers, what if today we began to look at them as the ones with all the questions? And much like a grain of sand that irritates the tissue or the mantle of an oyster, and that oyster produces the nacre, the N-A-C-R-E, which becomes a pearl, so are the questions of Jesus. Now today we're going to go through a process. I'm I'm going to share with you what the questions of Jesus do. Four things. I'm going to give you a point. Then I'm going to point you to a story. We're going to look at the question on the table. And then I'm going to give you a picture. Now there's going to be space in your notes for you to think, to ponder, to understand. Possibly a, a, a picture may come to you that I don't give you. But I want you to be able to just... Uh, lean into the text here, all right? So the first thing that the questions of Jesus do, the first thing is they address our belief systems. Now, it's interesting to me that the uh, letters for those two words, belief systems, are BS, okay? Now, I'm not trying to be funny because I, I don't think that we fully grasp what a belief system in our life is or what it's like. We think, oh, I'm a believer, I believe. But a belief system is probably best likened to a few things. One is like the roots of a tree. So if the roots go down deep and they're strong, then during a storm or during stress, a tree is able to withstand the storms of life. If the roots are weak and small, then any wind will blow that uh, tree over. And that's what belief systems are like. They're also like an anchor for a, a, a boat, which basically fixates it on a point in a place. And so if, if that is a strong anchor, it will hold fast. If it's a weak anchor, it is tossed to and fro. It's also belief systems are like a, a record that's on repeat. Many of us have had um, a record that's been playing, voices of condemnation, experiences from our past, bad decisions, and that voice which we understand that the enemy, Satan, He is referred to as the father of lies or the prince of the power of the air. And this is where he likes to dominate. He takes those experiences, he takes that past pain, that hurt, those things, and he throws them at us. And all of a sudden that record begins to uh, be on repeat and it begins to be the, the, the voice that begins to shape and navigate our life. So Isaiah 55, 3 says this as we're going through this process. 
It says, come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, and you'll find life. I'll make an everlasting covenant with you. I'll give you all the unfailing love that I promised David. So I want you to just hear this, all right? Now, oftentimes these belief systems, they're, they're the root of these questions like, who am I? Why am I here? Who wants me? Who can I trust? And, and those are answered by these circumstances. And we get deafened by those playlists of pain, abuse, criticism, whatever it is. And so we have to realize that belief systems is not just knowing information, but they become the thing that our life is anchored to. So think about that. What is your life anchored to right now? When the storms and the stress of life come, yes, you may know some information, but what are you anchored to? Now, the first story that we're going to look at is in Mark 10, 46 through 52. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to reference it. And this is a story of blind Bartimaeus. And Jesus and the disciples have just come to Jericho. They're now leaving town. And Bartimaeus is a blind beggar who's sitting on the roadside. And he hears that Jesus is coming by, and so he cries out. And the way in which he cries out is a good indication of the way in which we come to God, the way in which we come to Jesus. And he, cri he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd around him is like, shut up, shh, be quiet. And he cries out even louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It's a beautiful picture of humility. It's a beautiful picture of when you've come to the end of yourself, how to respond. Jesus says, bring that blind man to me. And now uh, Bartimaeus throws aside his cloak, which represents his blindness, and he comes to Jesus, and Jesus asks him this question. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Now, the picture that I have for you is like a physician, like a great doctor. I want you to see this. Jesus takes a stethoscope and he begins to put it on the heartbeat of Bartimaeus. Now notice what he does. He pauses. See, when, when it comes to other people and, and their needs and their wants, we have a tendency to assume. And we all know what happens when we assume, right? One person does. All right. We have a tendency to assume what that person needs. Now, especially when it comes to people in challenging situations, disabilities, we tend to think that we know what they need. Oftentimes, because we can't meet the need and make everything better, we, we, don't, we don't actually even talk to those people. I see it happen all the time. We don't know what to say. Somebody goes through a very traumatic event, and it's like, Eesh. And Jesus pauses, and he waits for Bartimaeus to respond. I find that interesting. And Bartimaeus says that I might receive my sight. Now, I, I like to just think about the pause because maybe Bartimaeus had a bad relationship with his father. Maybe Bartimaeus wasn't really sure about the significance of his life. Maybe he just wanted to contribute. Whatever it is, Jesus waits. He doesn't jump in to answer for Bartimaeus. He listens. And I think that there's a secret that's there. Now, in our life groups, if you've been a part of them, you'll understand that we utilize this way and this how in, in our life group process. And, and the way that we say it is you can't give any advice. You can't, you can't give unsolicited advice or unsolicited scriptures. So someone walks in, hey, how are you doing? Man, I'm not doing great. Things are just, they're they not good. They're not good. Well, brother, let me just tell you what Philippians 4.13 says. 
thank you, thank you so much. So if the person asks you, hey, listen, do you know any Bible scriptures? Because I'm really having a tough time. Could you, could you just throw all those at me right now? Then you're free to give them. But you can't give them unless the person asks. You're called to listen. Here's why. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else. It determines the course of your life. Now, uh, the Bible talks about this. It says in Proverbs 12 that anxiety in a man's heart, it weighs him down. But an encouraging word brings gladness. And here's why. In our hearts, it's where our long-term memories are stored. This is where those experiences, that past pain, this is where when we go through breakups and hurt and trauma and we're like, oh, my heart hurts, it's your actual heart. The Bible says to guard it. And so in this story, what do, we, what do you want me to do for you? Can you see and understand Jesus addressing the belief system, the root, what's going on here, what do you need, what do you want? And he speaks and ministers and meets the need. Second thing that the questions of Jesus do. They create connection. They create connection. Now, communication is often just an exchange of information, right? And it leaves us feeling empty. But, or excuse me, connection is an exchange of humanity. It's an exchange of emotion. I believe it's an exchange of the divine, of divinity. And I don't know if, if you know the answer to this. If you don't, we'll... we'll clear that up, but do you know the problem that Jesus came to solve? Most of us, our, our response would be sin. He came to solve the problem of sin, and that's not, that's not wrong. We may just need to add a little bit more for understanding's sake, but sin means the absence of God. It means to be without God, and Jesus came to solve the problem of being disconnected from the source of life. That is why he came. So Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. They had been living with God as the source of life, as a source of love, as a source of joy, peace, all of it. And then they sinned and it created disconnection. So now their connection was to their senses and to themselves. Now we can all identify with that where we're looking at things and stuff in our environment. This is why the Bible says that money is the root of all, excuse me, the love of money is the root of all evil because it seeks to answer and it, and it does, it's very alluring, right? When it, like, who am I? <laughs> Pull out this wad of hundreds. This is who I am. Have you ever gone to the bank when you had a, a negative balance? Yes? How did you feel? Have you ever gone to the bank when you had a very positive balance? How did you feel? I know the answer to that question. You felt better about yourself because money goes, you are somebody. Check out that car you're driving. You're somebody. Who am I? Why am I here? I make money. That's why God said it. The source disconnects you from God. Money's not bad. The love of it is. Right? You with me? No, you're not. Oh, you need to answer the question. All right? <laughs> Second story. John 1, 29 through 42. The story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, a forerunner of Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. And he is uh, there baptizing. He's got two disciples. And he sees Jesus and is like, that's the one. He's the one. I've been doing all this, baptizing, but that's the one. You need to follow him. And so two of his disciples follow Jesus. Jesus turns and asks a great question. Now listen to the question 
going back to what we talked about in the beginning about who is God. Listen for his kindness, his consideration, his goodness. If you hear it a different way, you're hearing incorrectly, and we need to clean that filter. He turns and he says, what are you looking for? Says to Andrew, what are you looking for? Now, this question will come up again, and you have to hear it. But it, it is, this is the picture. It's like a prospector who's panning for gold. I want you to hear this. right? All the dirt, all the debris of our lives, Jesus is like a prospector just waiting for a glimmer, just a speck of gold. It's so great because oftentimes we have this immediate bent. Like if you hear the Holy Spirit say to you, what are you looking at? What are you looking for? Shame. Shame seeks to silence the questions of the heartbeat of a master who desires to lead you to health and wholeness. Because you won't get to the question because you think you already know the answer. I know why I'm looking at that. I'm a pervert. I messed up. I got lust problems. And all the while, Jesus, like a prospector, is sifting through that dirt. Hear me. He's sifting through it. He sees your heart. He knows what you're looking for. You're looking for validation. You're looking for value. You're looking for worth. And he's got it for you. You're looking for connection. He comes to create connection. What are you looking for? What are you longing for? God desires to ask. John said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, no longer to be disconnected from the source of life. The third thing that the questions of Jesus do is they initiate into me see. Intimacy. They initiate intimacy. See, you can't fake truly seeing another person. And every one of us has a basic human need to be seen, to be understood, and to be valued. All of us. It's how God wired us. And so he is El Royi, the God who sees. He sees you so clearly, so fully. I'll tell you a story that uh, I'm not super proud of, but uh, before Noel and I got married, I was dating this girl, and she worked at a bank, and so I decided that I was going to take her and her friend out to lunch, and so I went and picked uh, them up at the bank, and as I was pulling into the parking lot, I noticed that there was a rusted out yellow pinto sitting there that looked like a piece of work. And so I decided it would be funny if I told these ladies that this was my car. And so I proceeded to say, ladies, your chariot awaits. And um, my girlfriend at the time snickered. <laughs> and her friend looked down and looked the other way. Now, I didn't, I didn't know, notice, I didn't see her, uh, only to find out later that it indeed was her car. Mm, yeah, thank God for growth, maturity, and uh, a wife who's continually helping me. Yeah, that's, that's, that did happen. Luke 7, 36 through 50. Story of a sinful woman or a woman that had a reputation for being sinful. Now, this is the one who, when you go to the parties, she's, she's slurring her, her speech. She's uh, scantily uh, clad. She's dressed, you know, and, and you know, kind of uh, you're looking over to the side like, who is that? So she's at this party. It is a dinner party. Simon the Pharisee. And so she breaks in and she's sobbing. And uh, she is 
come in with an alabaster flask of very expensive perfume, and she is sobbing at the master's feet. She's crying tears. Uh, the, the, the tears are falling on his feet. She is taking her hair. She, this is messy, but it's also beautiful. But Simon, the Pharisee, he, he sort of, he snickers. He's got some words to say. Now, before you, you run too quickly, think about who sets you off. Who triggers you? Who, who's a person? Is it, is it that angry boss of yours? Is that individual that, oh, I can't believe she or he, whatever it is. And Simon says, if, this, if he was a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman. And Jesus looks at Simon. Now hear his words. Do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? Now, here is the picture. Uh, it is like an 11-year-old little boy who you have just told that this metal detector at the park and in the sand He'll be able to discover treasures untold. So here's the picture. He has got his metal detector, and he is just looking for treasure. Now, you may have a different picture. You can write it down. Do you see this woman? Jesus sees. Here's what shame seeks to do. It, it seeks to shape all of us. You know, your bad decisions, your, your shady past. Maybe you're currently doing some things. But in, in shame seeks to shape us and say, this is who you are. It's not, not just simply enough for us to think about something that's happened to us, but it becomes our identity. When, here's one of my favorite uh, framing sentences. Water can become ice or steam. It just takes the right environment. That keeps me grounded. Keeps me aware that there could be times where stress or difficulty hits my life, and I have to be aware I have to look at the dashboard of my life and I have to understand what's going on because I know that I could just be in a position or a situation based on things that are hitting me. It's why we all need to understand what we need. We need to understand what's going on in our lives and we need to stay connected to the, the source of life and not just our senses. Are you with me? And Jesus sees. He sees into each one of us he, again, he is the one who pays close attention. He is and goes by the name forever, the God who sees El Royi. All right? Brings us to our fourth point. Questions of Jesus. They provide opportunities for responsibility. And I, I spelled that right. The story that we're going to look at is John 5, 1 through 11. It's a story of the man at the pool of Bethesda. And so there is a festival going on. And there are a group of lame and diseased people who are waiting by this pool. And uh, there is this supernatural occurrence that takes place where the angel of the Lord comes and stirs the water. And whoever gets in first gets healed of their diseases. So Jesus comes upon this man. And the Bible says he's been there for 38 years. 38 years. So liken this to a situation that you've uh, been enduring. It could be physical it could be emotional, but 38 years he's been sitting there, and Jesus comes up and he asks him a question. Seems kind of dumb, but it's not. He says, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Now here's the picture. Like a master locksmith, he comes. You can buy these on Amazon for like nine bucks, by the way. All right. And he... he reaches into the heart of this man. And I believe that's what questions are. They are like keys 
in the heart and the mouth of God. And when we begin to understand that, we begin to see that, and we begin to utilize those, led by the Holy Spirit, in the same way God allows us to get at the heart of humanity. And so he begins to ask a question. Now the reason why it's important, like I said before, is that trauma uh, can become our identity. We go through something traumatic, and rather than it being just something that happened to us, it becomes our identity. But Jesus knows this. Do you want to get well? I told a young man this um, not too many months ago because he had been through some pain and some trauma in his life. And I was telling him this story, and he went out and he got it tattooed, do you want to get well, on the inside of his forearm. That is commitment. I did not tell him to do that, but he did that. Why? Because it was meaningful to him to, to sit with that question. And to ask himself, do I want to get well? Now, his response was, I don't have anybody to put me in the water. Which I want you to notice how Jesus responded to what he said. He didn't even, he didn't even give it a second glance. He says to the man, pick up your bed and walk. I don't have anybody to put me in the water. Pick up your bed and walk. Rise up. To you who are here saying, you know, my wife, we were just having some difficulty. Jesus says to you, do you want it to be better? Do you want to get well? Do you want that relationship to be better? Rise, pick up your car keys and go buy some flowers and write a note to your wife. Don't look at me like that. (laughs) Why? Because you are response able. Grace empowers you to do. That's what grace is. It's not just undeserved favor alone. It is the divine empowerment of God. What situation in your life needs to get better? Think about it. What needs to get better? God asks you, do you want to get well? Do you want to hold on to jadedness and cynicism? Matthew 16, 19 says this, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Not too long ago, I felt this question, felt like the Lord asked me to this, not too many weeks ago. He said, Brad, do you know how they talk about you in heaven? Do you know how the angels whisper about you? Now, my first reaction was, oh, man. And God took me to the story in Judges of Gideon. He said, let me show you. Gideon is hiding in a corner. He's, He's hearing everything that the world says about him. He's in fear, he's timid, he's, he's shrunken back. And the angel of the Lord walks in and says, you mighty man of valor. Well, how? Pfft. Look at him in the corner. Because he talked to Gideon like they talk about him in heaven. And when the Lord showed me that, I was like, stood up straight, said, okay. As we've gone through these pictures of a great physician listening for the heartbeat, of a prospector panning for gold through the debris, of an 11-year-old child with a metal detector looking for something of value as a master locksmith, looking to unlock the riches of the human heart. I want you to understand that questions are something that God has given to you and I to transform our lives and our relationship with him and the lives of those around us. So we're going to end a little bit differently than we normally do. Are you all right with that? Because here's here's what the Bible says in Matthew 7. Jesus said, "If he who hears these words and puts them into practice, 
He is like a wise person who builds his house on the rock. So in other words, just coming and hearing doesn't help us become wise. We have to do both. But we're not just here to check off a box. We're actually here to feel really the atmosphere, the way, and the how that Jesus does it. So here's what we've done. In order to redeem the space of technology, which often people can say this is the thing that distracts their kids or whatever it is, we built an app. And as you came in, you'll notice on the back of your your, uh, worship guide that there is a QR code. And I'm going to ask you to take out your phones in church. Take out your phones, open up your camera, have your camera pass over the QR code, and it should pull up the app. Download this app right now. And we are going to practice this sacred, divine art by asking questions. Now, let me tell you why. Let me tie this to the vision. Preston had mentioned uh, a few weeks ago that God had given him a picture of reaching 20,000 people in the valley in 25 years. 20,000 people. Now, what that means is 20,000 people discipled, understanding the way uh, that are, are, are realizing that how Jesus comes alongside us as a, as a good coach or as an encouraging master, Messiah, he puts his hand on our shoulder and he leads us to health and wholeness. And to be able to, to, to reach people over 25 years. Now, here I did the math. I took all the adults in our church and I, I calculated every adult in our church, if they asked every two weeks a question to... The, the barista at Starbucks or press or cartel or wherever they go, if they ask a the person who checked them in at the gym a question, a divinely orchestrated question with intent and passion to listen and to learn of that person, the person who is the cashier at the grocery store, 24 times, just 24 encounters, that would be 20,000 people, 20,000 conversations. Now, If those 20,000 conversations then kept growing year after year after year, I guarantee that if you saw and connected and saw the belief systems that were going on in the heart of the people that you are paying attention to, because here's what we do. We think that people are like holograms. They're there, but they're not really there. So we don't spend time seeing them, hearing them. And I believe God wants to redeem. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.